All right, well, our sermon text today comes from John 8, 30 through 36. And let's stand as we read it together. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. All right, well, uh, usually on a regular old work week for me, I, you know, uh, many of you know I, I usually try to take Monday as a day off, and then on Tuesday, working through emails and things like that. But on Tuesdays, I try to crack open the passage for the next week, and I just start studying it. And usually it's without any sort of... I try to do it without any sermon in mind. I just want to understand what's going on. Usually by Wednesday, I'm putting together an outline. and Thursday, I kind of let it rest. And then Friday, I try to tighten it up. And then Saturday, I sit down and I take everything I've learned and I try to put it in a package we would call a sermon. Well, this week, all of that got messed up because of our meetings on Thursday and Friday. So I sat down yesterday, and what I had was all of the studying of the passage that I had done early in the week. But I didn't have the nice package to... And I think this is actually a good thing, because especially in our tradition, we can get a little too focused on uh, the form of preaching and forget that the Lord speaking through his word is where the life really is. So here's what I'd like to do. I, today will be, uh, maybe it'll all end up coming out the same. I don't know. But at least from my perspective, today is a non-traditional, non-regular Charlie Shaw sermon style. Instead, what I want to do is I'm going to walk through this text um, sentence by sentence. And I want to show you, as we read through slowly, some of the things I've learned. And then when we get through, all the way through the end of it, uh, I have some thoughts that I'd like to throw out there, and I believe, because he promised to do so, because we're opening the Bible and we're looking at it and trying to trust in Jesus, that what God has to say to us will be clear. So let's do that, okay? If you have your uh, the sermon text in front of you, uh, let's go through it. So it starts off, Even as he spoke, many believed in him. And and then it says, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said. Jesus starts talking. 
All right, so clearly we're jumping in this in the middle of a story. If you guys remember the last two weeks, we've been in this same, actually, no, like the last five weeks, we've been in the same story. Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's teaching in the temple, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm looking around, and I think most of us have been around to where we sort of might have a remember what that means. The biggest feast of the year, people were sleeping outside, intense tabernacles, and it was to celebrate the Exodus wilderness wandering. Remember that? Last time Jesus had given the, let's see, Jesus is in the temple and he's been teaching, and the main subject of his teaching has been his personal identity. People are asking, who are you? Uh, Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? And what Jesus keeps going back to over and over again in different ways is he says that he is God's person. He's from the Father. He's sent from God. He says what the Father says. He teaches what the Father teaches. He is God's person in the world. That is the main uh, subject of his teaching. And then last week, he sort of took that I'm God's person message and gave us, gave the people in the temple, which we're sort of a part of by reading this, a mental image to help us understand what that means. And that was the image of being the light of the world. And he's standing in that place where they had the the tall menorahs that represented the pillar of fire. So it's like Jesus is saying, I'm the pillar of fire in the wilderness, which totally fits because they're in this festival where that's the thing they're celebrating, was all of the people of Israel following this pillar of fire throughout the wilderness. So Jesus is like, I'm the light of the world. And the idea is, I'm the pillar. And then he invites people to to get close to him and to stay uh, near to him. Like the passage we read earlier from the same John the Gospel writer. He's calling people to walk in the light. And the image there is he's saying, hey, like the people of Israel got into the light of the pillar of fire, uh, then what you should do, what I'm inviting you to do, is walk in my light. Stay close to me. He's rehearsing that wilderness wandering imagery to help explain to the people that he is God's person. Now, we've seen throughout his teaching that uh, his teaching has been divisive. Some people, it says that they believed him. Some people got angry. Some people wanted to kill him. And he's there in the temple, so there's these various groups. There's the temple officials, there's uh, who are like the you know, the, the, everything from like the guards to the people who, the Levites who work the sacrifices, all of those people are around. Uh, it says that the Pharisees were there. The Pharisees were sort of that grassroots, kind of a political, kind of a religious movement of very pious, good-hearted individuals. Uh, they were the most like us in the fact that they were used to synagogue worship, which sort of looks like this. Uh, they, were, they cared a lot about, uh, about the flourishing of their local communities. Uh, they were very low church, very grassroots. So the Pharisees were there, uh, the priests were there, and then there were common people. John the Gospel writer, to describe all of these folks, uses this word that in the NIV, the translation we're using, the word is the Jews. And we've talked before about how that's really not a fair translation. Uh, The word in Greek is uh, really the word Judeans. And that's different. Uh, 
John is referring to, they're in Jerusalem. This is like the Jerusalem-based religious community, the Jer Jerusalem-based Jewish community. That's who he's talking about. One of the reasons why that's important is because especially these passages that we're reading, and especially the one we're going to read next week, if we just read it as the Jews, the Jewish people, um, there's a track record of this leading to anti-Semitic behavior and ideology because John is showing us that there are people who didn't understand. So we need to be careful. When, when we read the Jews here, think that's the Jerusalem-based Jewish community at this time. That's who we're talking about. So, even as he spoke, many believed in him. And to the Judeans who had believed in him, Jesus said. And then he goes on to teach. So that's what's happening and who he's talking to. Now, what's the deal about this, the ones who had believed in him? That's important. The way that John writes this is important. Uh, John says to the Judeans who had believed in him. He's framing it as a, uh, these people at one point had an experience of belief. In John's gospel, he approaches personal belief in two ways. And it has to do with the way he frames the tense of the word believe. Uh, there's two ways he does it. One is this way, had believed. Um, people who at some point in their brains said, yes, I think what he's, Jesus is saying is true. There's that group, and then there's another group that he frames as the believing ones. And he frames it as a present participle. Belief is ongoing. Uh, belief characterizes who they are. So if we think this passage, is, he says, had believed. These are the people in the group who are listening and they're going, okay. Which is different than when we read like John 3.16. Uh, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son so that the believing ones, that's a present participle, would not perish. You see the difference? So Jesus is talking to people who at one point made a mental, cognitive, okay. The reason this is important is because in John's gospel, the people who believed, sometimes they end up uh, following Jesus for the long haul, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we could frame it as they became you know, they got saved or, or however we want to use contemporary language to frame it. And sometimes they don't. Remember when Jesus did in John chapter 2, he goes to the temple and he like flips the tables and makes a whip. And it says that many people had believed in him when they saw that, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew it was in their heart. So in John's gospel, just because somebody at some point says, yeah, I think that's true doesn't mean that they end up joining Jesus' group. doesn't mean that they end up becoming what we would call today a Christian. John is very careful in the way he frames this. So, to the people who had believed in him, we could say these may or may not be believers. We don't know. They're people who are listening and saying, okay, to this group, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. 
You see what Jesus is starting to do here? He's been teaching. Some don't like it. Some are saying, okay, yeah, I, okay, I, I think this is true. But they may or may not be in. And he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. The word there for hold that John uses is the Greek word minnow, which is sometimes translated remain, sometimes translated abide, sometimes translated to make a home with. The idea is sticking around. Uh, that famous passage in John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you, that's the word minnow. It's to set up house, to stay with. If you make your home in my teaching, the word that's used for teaching there is the word logos. Do you guys know that word? Yes, that's right. It's the famous word that John uses in the first chapter to describe who Jesus is. Logos means word. It means teaching. It means principle of truth. It means message. The whole gospel of John starts off that says, in the beginning was the logos, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus himself is the logos of the Father. Jesus is God's message to the world. When we, just like Jesus has been teaching, I only say what the Father tells me to say. If you're listening to me, you're listening to the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. If you think, there's Father God living in the mysterious eternal reality, and he expresses himself to the world, he sends his message to the world, and that self-expression, that message, that truth is the person of Jesus. Well, it becomes flesh, and that's the person of Jesus. Now, in this passage, Jesus says, if you hold to make your home in my logos. And the idea is just like if we see, look at Jesus, we see the grand mystery of God, because Jesus is God's self-expression in flesh who made his home with us. In the same way, if we listen to Jesus' teaching, if we listen to his message, then we're seeing who he really is. John is presenting the idea of encountering God in all of his mystery as an encounter that's facilitated by logos, communication, words. Jesus says, if you make your home in my teaching, and he says that in John's gospel, which starts with this beautiful poetic passage that says that God sent his teaching to make his home with us. And now Jesus says, if you make your home in my teaching. Jesus is saying something significant, and the way that John is framing this is uh, pretty poetic, this imagery here. Uh, but... I think it's poetic not just to be beautiful, but to help us as readers understand that Jesus isn't just saying, if you think what I'm teaching you is true, that may or may not lead to eternal life. Jesus is not just saying, uh, if you listen to what I'm saying and then you apply these principles in your life. No, it's more than that. Jesus is saying, like I came from God and made my home with you, 
You'll come to me and make your home with my message, with my teaching. He's saying, and if you do that, you'll really be my disciples. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi, and he's traveling around with a group of followers, and among those followers are a smaller group of officially enrolled students that we would come to call the Twelve. These were his rabbinical disciples. They were the official enrolled students in his rabbinical school. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, don't just follow me. Make your home here. Enroll. Become registered. Come into the inner circle. I'm the light of the world, the light in the middle of the camp. Move in closer to the middle of the camp where the light is. That's what he's telling these people. Okay. If you hold to my teaching, wait, to the Jews, to the Judeans who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you make your home with my teaching, then you are really my disciples, really my students. And then, if all of this happens, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, there's all this imagery about the people coming out of Egypt being led by the pillar of fire. It's the festival, the menorahs, the whole thing. Jesus is drawing on this. If you push in, you make your home here, that's where you get freedom. That's where Exodus happens all over again in your life. You want to be set free? You want to have true freedom? That's how you do it. Make your home with my teaching, with my message. Like John later says, walk in the light. Further in, push in, enroll. That's where freedom is. So that's what Jesus says to these people who have some kind of maybe nominal intellectual only interest or belief. And maybe we can stop and say, is Jesus saying this to us? Well, yes, he is. So hold these ideas in your mind. Jesus says all this, and then how do the people respond? Well, this is where the story kind of shifts. They say, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? I wonder how you guys would characterize this response. Jesus had just given this like beautiful very personal, very sincere invitation to experience freedom from God by knowing him. And the people say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? It's like their defenses are going up. Uh, Maybe we can call this, maybe we see a little bit of self-righteousness here. Are you seeing why it's important that we remember that when John says the Judeans, that's not the same as the Jews? Okay, because the people, their response here, it's, as we watch, it's like, hey guys, calm down. Listen to what he's saying. But also, I think we can identify with what they're saying. They start off with a statement about who they think they are. They go straight to their own sense of personal identity. We are Abraham's descendants. God called Abraham out of the east out of Ur to come to the promised land. God made a covenant with him. God said, I'll be your God. You and your descendants will be my people. They'll be special. They'll fill the earth. I'll give them the land. And these folks are saying, we are 
uh, we're special. We already know all this stuff. God has his eye on us. Jesus, we have everything we need. We have never been slaves to anyone. Now, is that a true statement? No. They're in this festival celebrating the exit of the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery. Uh, they're in Roman-occupied uh, Judea. Because there's a religious festival going on, there were probably Roman soldiers everywhere. And they're saying, we've never been slaves to anyone. What we see here is in response to Jesus' message, we see sort of a, uh, a spiritual pride rise up and put up defenses. You want to set us free? We're already free. Look at who we are. Look at the ideologies that we hold to. Look at the things that define our community. Consider our culture. Jesus, we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone. It's like Jesus is saying, even you, religious people who come from the right family, from the right line, even you, even you are slaves to sin. And notice that Jesus doesn't call out their blatant, like, uh, what about Egypt? Uh, what about Rome? He goes straight to the heart of the issue. There's a slavery that's worse than Egypt. There's a slavery that's worse than Rome. It's the slavery of sin in your heart. And that is everybody. Slavery to sin. I think we tend to think of sin as uh, just doing bad stuff. I read uh, one commentator this week who said, we think of sin as doing something bad, especially doing something sexual. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in our culture, if you tell somebody they're a sinner, that's highly offensive because we've sort of commandeered that word culturally and just made like sin is like the worst things. Jesus doesn't talk about sin that way. Jesus talks about sin not as us doing bad things, but about a condition of spiritual bondage. And everybody who sins is because we are slaves to sin. There's this condition of spiritual bondage. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith defines sin as anything that breaks God's law or falls short of God's law. I like that because that falling short of, it's not just doing bad things. It's being in a state of life that doesn't measure up to what God originally intended in all of his goodness. And that's all of us. In John's gospel, there's all of these metaphors that John uses to help us understand what Jesus is doing in our world. Light and dark, uh, living water versus thirst. Um, there's, uh, there was another one. Anybody think of another one? Belief or belief or believing versus unbelief, uh, receiving as opposed to refusing. There's all of these like contrasts and that's helpful for us because I think what Jesus is saying is um, you, you need to stop thinking of sin and bondage 
as something that happens to other people. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So light and dark, everyone starts off in their life in darkness. Bondage, slavery, and freedom. We start, the story starts uh, when after we're born. We are born into a world of bondage, just like if you're born to a slave family, you're born a slave. Jesus is saying you need to think of yourselves as starting on the other side and being in need of some kind of liberator. And the people are going, look, we are children of Abraham. They're not understanding it. So Jesus says, verse 35, he, he kind of doubles down on the slavery metaphor. He says, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus is doing is, uh, now, just slavery is wrong in the scriptures. That's clear, especially since, like, the people of God, the story kind of starts with an exit from slavery. So I just want to, Jesus is borrowing an image from cultural slavery in his time. In a typical Roman household, which they would have been familiar with because Romans are occupying, you would have, uh, in the Roman world, it was very patriarchal, so you'd have the senior male, and then under him, there was a hierarchy. Uh, first, it would be the sons, and those were the heirs. Then it would be the uh, wife and daughters, and then it would be the slaves. Now, this structure for a household is not good. Jesus is not endorsing it. But he's using it as an image. He's saying, if somebody is a slave in the household, they could never be set free by another slave. They have to have one of the sons, one of the high-ranking male officials, come along and speak a word over them, setting them free. That would be a certificate or a pronouncement. And if a son sets you free, then you can be free indeed. And Jesus then identifies himself as the son. He's saying this to people who are saying, we've never been slaves. We're children of Abraham. Now, was Abraham a slave to sin? Well, was he a human being who isn't Jesus? Yeah. He's saying, guys, even your religious ethnic identity, that's good that God himself established. Even that doesn't have the power to free you from sin. And we can impute all of John's metaphors. That doesn't have power to bring light to your darkness. It doesn't have power to satisfy your thirst. It doesn't have power um, to help you to receive all of, that, all of God is. You are still bound. You're still a slave. It has to be a son who sets you free. And Jesus is saying, I'm the son and then we could almost, sort of like those uh, Instagram reel videos that play in a loop, where it like, it's like a 30 second video and it ends with a question that the beginning of the video answers. So it just like, it's this continual message. That's like what Jesus is saying. It has to be a son. If a son sets you free, you're free indeed. And then go back to the beginning where he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. So you see what Jesus is doing? 
he's, lever- he's doing what we would call a gospel presentation. He's doing what we would, what churches I grew up in, it's like an altar call. It's like saying, if you want to receive, if you want to be free, come on down. And he himself is the liberator. He himself is the zone of freedom. He's the light that lights the camp. He himself is uh, the logos, the message from God, the word from God, the window into God's reality. He himself is at the absolute center. So he tells the people, come in, come to me, and hold on, remain. Make your home here. That's what's happening in the passage. Now, why is this important for us? Well, I haven't been able to stop thinking all week about the response of the Judeans. They witness firsthand God's person uh, offering explicitly God's invitation to exit sin slavery, to be spiritually liberated, and to experience the real life that God created all of us for and that we all desire, like when you thirst, you desire water. They're hearing it firsthand. We hear it from me bumbling along in a sermon. Or we hear it when somebody talks about uh, this or when we read our Bibles. They're literally seeing it and hearing it with their ears. And these are good people. And they go, "Ah, we're not slaves. We have our identity. We have our religion. We have our story. We have our heritage. We've never been slaves. What we see here is this picture in John of like the most ridiculous state of religious denial, spiritual denial, from good people. And I think that we struggle with that ourselves. I think each of us do. Lots of times in churches, you hear uh, preachers, they get up and they preach about the sins of the people out there. Oh, here's what's going on in the secular culture. Here's what's happening in the world. There's all that sin out there. And, uh, and, and, you know, we we just hope that God turns it around. But we hear Jesus, and he's not doing that. He's not preaching about the Romans who are lining the temple square waiting for a revolution. He's not teaching about the pagans. He's not teaching about uh, the Gentiles who live in the area. He is teaching God's people, religious folks, church folks, and he is giving them the ultimate invitation. And they're saying, "Uh, we're good. We already got our thing. And that story continues today. I spent all week with church people. At least I did this week. And here we are together. And many of you guys, uh, your families, your church people, your friends, church people. Um, Jesus is calling us to not just say, yeah, we believe what he's saying, but to make our home in his teaching. It's interesting that he doesn't say, make your home in your religious heritage. No. Make your home in the fact that you're Abraham's children. No. Make your home in your ideology. No. All those things are good. But Jesus is saying, make your home with my teaching, with me. 
just like when you look at me, you see that all of God's mystery within flesh because I'm the Logos. Listen to my teaching and you will get everything that I am in your life. That's what he's saying. I think for us, um, I think for us it's so easy to conf- to when we think about sin in the world, to think about it as other people's problems. But everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And church will never liberate us. Our church becoming like, you know, whatever we desire it to be will never liberate us. Christian worldview, whatever that means to you, will never liberate you. Your political ideologies, conservatism, progressivism, Never liberate you. Slavery is like the worst kind of bondage. And we all have that. The only way to be liberated is to make your home in Jesus. Guys, we're trying to build our church. Our church kind of stripped down. We're trying to rebuild it. And we can try really hard to be uh, this kind of church or that kind of church. We can try really hard to do all kinds of things. We can try really hard to examine our stories and revisit our ideas and fine. But only pushing into Jesus's person actually gets down to the heart of our bondage. So Jesus says, make your home in my teaching. I remember that last week he looks at this group we, we didn't read this, but right before our passage today, he says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just as what the Father taught me. We need to make our home in Jesus' teaching, and the place where that is the most clear and the most visible is when He was lifted up on the cross, which is why each week we focus on that here at the communion table. So let's focus on that. Let's hear Jesus' invitation uh, to, to be free in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.